Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Gen Z Economist Show. I'm your host, Jarrett Templeton, and in today's episode we're going to take a look at the U.S. debt ceiling and the agreement reached between Joe Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy. At the time of today's recording, it is actually Memorial Day, so I want to wish everyone a happy Memorial Day and take a minute to, you know, thank all of our veterans for serving. You know, a lot of people have family that have served in the military, and we just want to take a minute to, you know, recognize their sacrifice for all of the freedoms that we get to have. So I just want to thank everyone uh, that has served and wish everybody a happy Memorial Day. So let's take a look at our current situation. So recently, I think it was the 28th of uh, May, there was a tentative agreement reached between President Joe Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And part of that agreement is, uh, you know, trying to you know raise the debt ceiling or at least come up with a solution to the debt ceiling, you know, prior to June 5th when the Treasury runs out of money. So part of this tentative agreement is that uh, it will basically push back the debt ceiling to 2024 after the next election. So this is very good uh, for both Joe Biden and the Democrats, and as well as uh, Speaker McCarthy and the Republicans, because it kind of pushes the problem uh, you know, away. So it's kind of like when you see kids in the movies and they clean the room, and they just shove everything into the closet. You know, It's not quite clean, because just, they just hid the problem. That's kind of what it looks like they're trying to do here. Basically pushing back this issue until after the elections are over, and then they can focus on the issue again. Hopefully, once each side has you know taken over some more power in the government itself. So June fifth is a very important date. So this is when you know Treasury uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen, uh, Janet Yellen, is saying that the Treasury will run out of money and will not be able to make payments on its obligations. So we have to you know kind of come up with something before that date. Otherwise, you know the U.S. government is going to default on some of its debts and it's not going to be able to make payments on everything and you know it's really interesting to see what they would choose to stop making the payments on you know what it seems like they're not willing to pull back payments on social security and medicare and you know food stamps that kind of thing it looks like they would just stop paying on the treasury bills and that could ripple across the globe so that's why people are putting so much attention onto this debt ceiling right now is because there's a lot of implications you know if the United States government defaults on its debt and why is that so well you know part of the uh, you know the economic system that the world uses now you know is, is mostly backed by US government treasuries you know prior to 2008 um, you know banks used mortgage-backed securities or treasuries as collateral and actually in a lot of ways mortgage-backed securities were probably preferred over over treasuries and then when the housing market collapsed and you had all the uh, mortgage-backed securities collapse and the housing market just you know completely implode it pretty much removed the mortgage-backed security from the global banking system it became a toxic uh, you know asset now they still exist uh, in a lot of ways they have come back but they're not the same uh, collateral they're not seen, seen or used as collateral in the ways that U.S. Treasuries are used in. So every bank, every financial institution pretty much uses uh, Treasuries, and they're considered as good as gold in a lot of ways. They're very liquid, so a lot of people really prefer these Treasuries. So there's a big demand for these Treasuries. But that's given the fact that they'll you know, hopefully be paid. So the people that have Treasuries that are maturing, if they find, found out that the United States government may not be able to pay those off, you know, a lot of these institutions may not want to use Treasuries anymore. We're already seeing that the BRICS nations are trying to get away from the dollar, and this is part of getting away from that dollar system and de-dollarizing in, in a whole. So they want to get away from the treasuries, and you know they want to get away from everything the U.S. government touches. I mean, you know, but if these treasuries go down, you know, if the, if the United States defaults on its debt and doesn't pay these treasuries, then this could be like you know the 2008 crisis all over again, because these 
you know, this pristine collateral that the banks need, that the banks have to trade with, suddenly becomes no longer pristine, and then those treasuries become toxic, and then it's a kind of a scramble uh, to get into something that's safer. So a lot of people are kind of really paying attention to this to see what's going to go on. So part of the agreement, though, uh, you know, like we said, it's pushing back that debt ceiling to 2024 after the next election, uh, but it's putting some limits on non-defense spending. So, you know, discretionary spending, there's limits on that, setting it to about uh, the same limit as about uh, 2023. So kind of keeping us on the same uh, fiscal budget as this year, for 2023. Um, you know, there's a few things that Republicans want and a few things Democrats want. Um, but ultimately, a lot of the Republicans want to get rid of the proposed 87,000 new IRS agents. So there's about 87,000 new IRS agents that the Democrats want to hire to essentially go after people not paying their taxes. That's going to be poor people. You know, they want to go after people Venmoing each other more than $600 in a transaction. You know, so a lot of Republicans don't want anything to do with this. You know, most of the American people probably don't want anything to do with these IRS agents. Most people don't like the IRS. You know, uh, especially when they're trying to pay taxes, but when they're when they're trying to collect taxes on Venmo payments, you know that's really digging into the average American's pockets. So that's a really bad thing, and Republicans are really trying to take a stand against this. So part of the deal, though, does not eliminate those eighty-seven thousand proposed IRS agents. It just limits them. I don't know if the limits have been set in stone, but it's probably going to cut that down a little bit. You know, when you see um, deals between Democrats and Republicans, you know, going across the aisle, one of the things you realize is typically they typically meet in the middle. You know, most one side may not get the whole way, um, but a lot of times they meet in the middle, and it's still bad. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're looking at here. So, uh, you know, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy has kind of told Joe Biden that he will agree to do a lot of these things that Demi uh, Republicans don't want, and give the Democrats just a little bit less of what they want. So that's kind of what we're seeing here. Uh, and if you notice, I said it puts a limit on non-defense spending. So it's considering defense spending as you know ultimately necessary, and there's no limit on increases on defense spending. Now, that's especially important right now when we look at the war with Ukraine. Because the United States is really backing Ukraine. It's been sending Ukraine you know, monetary aid, you know, just sending them money, yeah, sending them U.S. dollars that they can use to spend across the world to buy more war supplies. And it's also been directly you know, subsidizing Ukraine and their military with military goods. So we've been sending them a lot of U.S. government property, you know, a lot of weapons that we've been sending over there for them to use against Russia. So that has won. It's depleted the United States military stockpiles. You know, we've been sending them ammunition, missiles, tanks, all kinds of things that were in our stores, and we're emptying those. So the United States has to replenish its stores and its stockpiles if it wants to maintain, you know, the same uh, kind of military strength. So if we don't cap defense spending, then theoretically they can just print as much money as they want to replenish those stockpiles while at the same time maybe still giving money to Ukraine. They can say that is defense. They can kind of uh, you know, talk their way into calling that defense you know, by giving Ukraine all of these war materials. Hopefully it means that we won't have to fight Russia and they can kind of fight for us. So it's a proxy war and by not limiting defense spending, we're pretty much giving um, you know, the, the military industrial complex a blank check here over the next two years you know, to charge as much as they want and you know to try and refill as much uh, much of the stockpiles as they want at whatever price they choose. So, not limiting defense spending, in my opinion, is a terrible idea. 
uh, just because of how much money the United States, States is spending on Ukraine. And whether you want to support Ukraine or you want to support Russia or you think the war is just bad in general, um, the spending is very bad. So by spending all of this money, the United States doesn't have the money to spend. So what do they do? They print it. They sell T-bills you know, for dollars. The Fred prints, uh, prints the cash, essentially monetizing the debt. And you know, we just hand that money to Ukraine at the expense of every American that's holding these U.S. dollars. It's getting paid in U.S. dollars and has to buy their groceries in U.S. dollars. It's at their expense and rising prices that we pay for the Ukraine war. So whether you want it or not, you're paying for it at the pump. You're paying for it at the grocery store. You know, everything that you buy is going up in price. We see that with the inflation uh, in America. I feel like inflation, you know, since the Ukraine war has started, it's, it's only gone up. So um, we might have seen some inflation numbers come back down just a little bit. But once we understand that the credit, I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, consumer price index is already rigged and it looks at faulty numbers, I mean, we don't even have real uh, consumer price index data. I mean, it's, it's very faulty. But what you do see is at the store, you know, is your paycheck going as far as it has been? Uh, mine certainly hasn't. So by not limiting the defense spending, we're dooming, uh, you know, the dollar to more inflation. And again, we're just kicking the can down the road. But by kicking the can down the road, we're still hurting the dollar. So um, the Republicans aren't really getting what they want. They claim that they want to, you know, reel in this inflation. They want to reel in government spending. Um, but the Democrats, they want more spending, and they're willing to hold, essentially, the whole world economic system hostage uh, by not agreeing to cut government spending. So they're putting, you know, these government programs well above the entire world economy and trying to essentially just hold their finger over the, you know, atomic weapon switch in hopes that, you know, they can get their money. And that's really essentially holding the world hostage. So that's not cool. And you really need to think about this when you vote for people. And I'm not telling you who to vote for. Um, I think most politicians are bad in general. But when you look and see what some of these people are willing to do in order to get more money for their programs and get more money for their friends, you know, who they're getting you know, bribes from or they're getting kickbacks from in one way or another, you know, when they're willing to hold the entire world uh, hostage over some of these, this, this funding, uh, that's not good. And we're, again, the, the whole world is realizing this and the smart people in the world, you know, these nations that actually produce things, they see this happening and they don't want any part of it. They hate being held hostage like this. And what are they going to do about it? Well, they're going to de-dollarize. So this whole fiasco is just adding pressure to the enormous pressures on the world to de-dollarize. But, you know, there's a lot of knock-on effects here uh, with, with this happening. So... Well, what's going on right now? Well, credit default swaps have gone down after the announcement of the deal, but they're back up. If you don't know what a credit default swap is, it's, a, it's essentially an insurance policy on, on debt. So if you think the United States government won't be able to pay you back for the treasury bond that you own, well, you can go to someone else, like another bank, and take out a credit default swap on that treasury. So essentially, you're buying an insurance policy. You know, you pay a premium. There's a cost associated with the policy. But if the United States government doesn't pay you on time, then that, that bank will pay you a big portion, usually like 90 plus percent of the, the treasury bill that you hold. So if you're owed $1,000 from the government and they're not able to pay you, essentially the bank will come in and pay you um, maybe $900 or, or a little bit over that and um, for, for a small fee. So you get most of your money back. And even if the government does pay you later on, you can still collect that payment it's just, it's just there's a penalty um, 
you know, for not paying on time that you're essentially collecting on uh, by setting up an insurance policy. So these credit default swaps, you know, they have a premium. So you know, kind of like a car insurance. If you, if you have a very fast car, your insurance is going to be higher because there's a more, uh, there's a larger chance that you're going to crash that car. You know, whereas if you have a very slow car, um, there's a little bit less of a chance of you, you know, acting a fool with it <laughs> and damaging the car. So the the policy, the premium on the policy is less. So when we see the credit default swap premiums go up, it means the chances of a government default are much higher. And you know, a, a week or two ago, we hit the uh, the highest the credit default swaps on government treasuries has ever seen. You know, and that's come down slightly uh, with the announcement of the agreement, but it's going back up. So the free market is saying, you know what, I don't think that the government is going to um, reach this agreement. And part of that is because it's politically unpalatable to both sides. You know, the Democrats don't want to lose you know, some of their spending that they want. They want additional spending. You know, the, the Republicans don't want all of these new IRS agents. They want to at least limit some of the spending. You know, they're not very good at cutting spending, but they at least want to try to limit it a little bit more than they're getting. And this, this, uh, this deal that Biden and McCarthy have reached is not does not guarantee that the members of Congress will vote for it. So you know, McCarthy is really going to have to try to convince Republicans to vote for this deal. So, but the free market is saying that he's not going to be able to do that, and that the government is going to be late on its payments. So this is something we should really keep an eye on because if the government is late on its payments, it's going to have a lot of problems. Well, we're going to have a lot of problems in the markets. So what happens if the U.S. defaults? Well, there could be a stock market crash, like we said. Uh, you know, a lot of the stock market, a lot of the banks in the stock market, the underpinning of our whole global financial system is the U.S. Treasury. It is U.S. dollars. So a lot of uh, banks, a lot of um, you know institutions across the world need these treasuries. They hold these treasuries. They need dollars. So one of the things they can do is use these treasuries as dollars. And, you know, right now we're seeing a lot of deflation in the money supply. So inflation and deflation, they kind of have different meanings depending on what you're looking at. You know, when there's more dollars available, that's technically inflation of the money supply. And when there's deflation, there's less dollars available. You know, we, we kind of look at that differently with prices. You know, prices are still going up. We call that inflation. Uh, but right now, you know, prices are still high, but we're still seeing deflation. So the money supply is crashing as the Fed continues to raise interest rates. So essentially, they're destroying a lot of these dollars by raising rates. You know, the the, the banking system creates dollars by lending uh, dollars into the system. So with the interest rates are so high, they're not able to lend as much. There's not as much demand for dollars, uh, you know, for, for lending them. And with higher interest rates, you know, a lot of companies can't pay back those higher interest rates, so they're not taking out more debt. So all of this means that we're kind of creating a perfect storm here. So if the United States defaults, a lot of people that need these dollars, they're not going to be able to get them. But also, a lot of countries are going to try to get away from the dollar here. So it's a kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. It's a real catch-22. So what we do see, though, is that... You know, the Federal Reserve understands this. McCarthy understands this. That's why they're trying to kick the can down the road. If they can, you know, just ride the middle of the situation, you know, that if they fall off of this tightrope, there's very negative uh, consequences, depending on which side they fall on. You know, if they raise the debt ceiling, uh, the government's going to print a lot more money. There's going to be an immediate inflation in, in the short term. If they don't raise the debt ceiling, you know, the whole dollar system could collapse even further, or the stock market could crash. So by, by trying to avoid both of these things, they can just try to kick the can down the road, maybe limit the inflation that we have, 
but none of this is good. So personally, I think we should really keep an eye on the credit default swap premiums you know, and see how those go over the next few days. We have until the 5th to kind of see what happens. So this next week is going to be really crucial to see what happens to the dollar. And I would say if an agreement is not reached, you know, the stock market could really crash. I think this is a very, uh, a very good time to be completely risk off. You know, I'm not, I can't give you financial advice. None of this is financial advice. But personally, I don't want anything to do with the stock market during this time, because if they're not able to reach an agreement, you know, the whole stock market could collapse and, you know, you could lose a lot of your value. So I think uh, we, we're kind of riding, you know, as an investor, we're kind of riding this other tightrope. So on the one hand, we don't want to have all of our money wrapped up in stocks you know, or other assets, maybe, because if the, uh, you know, the, the stock market collapses, then we could lose a lot of our purchasing power and a lot of our money. On the other hand, if we're holding U.S. dollars and the dollar collapses because an agreement isn't reached, well, then we can also lose a great deal of purchasing power. So what do you do? Personally, I think precious metals is a great place to sit right now, you know, because it, if the dollar collapses, there's going to be a huge demand for precious metals. We're already seeing a pretty tremendous demand for them right now, um, and the price seems to only be going up. So if the dollar collapses, you can guard a lot of your purchasing power with precious metals, or uh, even if they do you know, reach an agreement and inflation continues to run higher, well, again, you can still kind of uh, protect your money, your purchasing power, by holding these precious metals. So personally, that's what I think I'm going to do. I'm probably going to want to hold some dry powder. That's cash. So we're holding some of that cash. If the stock market does collapse, if an agreement isn't reached, you know, you can at least buy back into the stock market uh, with, with the same amount of money you had when the stocks are much cheaper. So you can actually gain a lot more of these stocks uh, for the long run. Um, but I think it's a good time to not be in stocks, personally. So do with that what you will. Um, but those are some, some ways you could potentially protect yourself. Well, everyone, thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you did, please leave me a rating uh, if you're on a podcasting service uh, or a like if you're on YouTube. It really helps out the show. It lets other people know they should take a look, you know, listen to the show, and subscribe for more. And I'll see you in the next one.